Welcome to Hashtag Jazz, the family-friendly Grow a f***ing pair Podcast exclusively about Utah jazz basketball I hate this history class From two of the most Emotionally unstable Guys in the business And now, here are your hosts Jason Walker and Trey Sanders Welcome, Jazz Nation. Thank you so much for listening to Hashtag Jazz. Yeah, things, are, things were a little crazy last week. We actually had a podcast recorded. Uh, we had an unintentional week-long break, or two-week break, I guess. Uh, we, we recorded an episode. It was, you know, We had some cool Christmas things, talked about what Christmas presents we wanted from the Jazz. Uh, Trey got his. I didn't get mine, but I think we were both satisfied with Christmas anyway. Uh, but then... The episode, yes. like my audio, because we're recording our audio separately, uh, the last few episodes, it mine was unusable and just sucked a ton. So we kind of had to bag it, because you wouldn't have been able to understand me for like half the episode. And Trey was, you know, his audio was awesome. Worked just fine. Sounded great. Mine, not so much. So, again, we had to bag it, so we're... I, hopefully I fixed the problem and we can roll with this episode. So anyway, how'd your Christmas we got, go? We got to get the technical. Oh, it was great. It was good. Got to <laughs> spend time with family. Uh, good amount of time with family. Uh, ate some awesome food. Went to the Jazz game and saw him win. Yeah, so you were at that Portland game, right? Yes, sir. That was a good game. Yeah, it I've was never actually, seen. I haven't seen that place that packed in a while, a long time. Yeah, it was really nice. It's the first Christmas game since uh, almost before I was born. Not quite, but pretty close. Only about three years or so. So, wow. yeah, it, it's been a long time. One twenty years. So I imagine. Yeah, and I can't a, even uh, remember. I can't even remember what the ratings were, but ESPN came out and said that that was the highest viewed. Uh, late slate game of that day for them in like six years. Yeah, it's it, it's really nice that people are actually willing to watch the Jazz. I mean, I can't imagine it was the highest rated of the the other games because you had what Lakers Warriors and a few other kind of marquee matchups. But it was it was a good game. The Jazz got a good win, and it really lifted my spirits. And I was able to watch it. I've not been able to watch all the Jazz games. I've struggled to get in and watch a full game, but I pretty much watched that entire game, and, you know, there's a lot of things that I liked, some things I didn't quite like, but overall, you get a Jazz win, then you got what you want, so not too much to complain about. I will say, so my, uh, the, the Christmas thing that I wanted was for Donovan Mitchell to put up 40 points, uh, it was a bit of a stretch goal, didn't get there, uh, did he even get to 20 points? I can't remember, I don't think... He didn't have that good of a game in terms of efficiency. He put up some points, but not much else. Yeah, I, think got, the... I think he got 20. I think so. It was it was pretty close around there. He might have gotten just over it or just under it. Yeah, I was, I was just looking at it. He had uh, 19 points, so he came pretty close to getting the 20. He had 19 points on 18 shots, so not the most efficient game. We're going to get into that in a little bit about Donovan's uh, inefficient shooting but that game is a team win nobody really had any box score breaking games i mean the high scoring high score of that game for anybody was 20 points that was damian lillard who actually needed 21 shots to get to that 20 points so it's a nice win for you yeah, well, and the defense was awesome, yeah. too. I mean, they were making it hard for everybody. I mean, he was. The, Damian Lillard was their offense for, like, the whole game. Yeah, because, yeah, again, nobody else really helped him a ton. He had a few other players in double figures, but, I mean, C.J. McCollum only getting 11 points and, again, 14 shots for that. Uh, and a handful of other players getting around uh, 10-ish points. But, yeah, again, the, the, the defense was yeah. awesome. And I, I really liked the Jazz defense uh, in December. And that's another thing we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk a lot about defense, Donovan Mitchell, Dante Exum, the point guard position in general. So we got a lot in this episode. Really excited about it. There's there's a lot to talk about, and it's not necessarily depressing. It's it's not nearly as depressing. The Donovan Mitchell one's going to be a little bit of a downer, but everything else, really everything else, is going up for the Jazz 
mean, on offense and on defense overall. So I'm I'm much more happy than I was a couple of episodes ago when I, yeah. I, I was about ready to just throw the season to the to the dogs and just be like, all right, I'm done with this. Let's start talking about lotteries. Yeah, we're we're done talking about this team now. <laughs> Yeah, we, we. I mean, to be fair, we were both pretty depressed around that time. Yeah, well, that that's what losing does, and I think, you know, winning has the exact opposite effect to me. We're oh, sure. practically going nuts at the end of last season because the Jazz were doing so well. So it, it's kind of up and down, even for the diehard fans. It's not like we're all being fickle fans. Just when you lose, you get a little bit cynical, even though you love the team as much. And then when they're winning, you know, it's all... Kittens, butterflies, and $20 bills or something. I don't know if there's supposed to be an actual phrase for that. Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> All right, so uh, let's talk. Let's start with something uh, that's nice, you know, going over the nice stuff, uh, and that is Dante Exum. Uh, I was, in that pessimistic part, I was getting ready to just jump off the Dante Exum bandwagon. I probably did, to be honest. And now I'm scrambling to get back on because he's been playing really well as of late. Uh, the last, oh, seven, eight games or so, uh, specifically I think since the 12th, since the game on the 12th against Miami, so that's nine games. He's averaging just under 10 points, four assists. Uh, he's made all of his free throws. He's shooting 49% from the field and 37.5% from three. And not a volume shooter, but he's making a little under one three per game. Or maybe one three every other game. It's 0.73 made per game. And I think the, the, the crowning point of all this was the game against the Knicks, where he started. And he got 13 points, 13 assists. Just a, an absolutely wonderful game for him. Let's see, and he didn't even have that many minutes, if I'm remembering right. Um, I didn't get to watch the game, so I really only noticed that. Uh, I think somebody said he had a lot of assists by like the end of the second quarter. Like, so he had, so he had 26 minutes, and 13 points, 13 assists was plus 19 for the game. So, and perhaps just as impressive was the fact that he only had one turnover. Well, and he's kept his turnovers down even the past, I don't, I don't even know, five games, I want to say. I mean, he had like a two or three game stretch where he had zero turnovers. I mean, he didn't play that often, but when he was in, he was producing. Yeah, I mean, in that stretch, uh, the nine games I mentioned since December 12th, he's averaging just 1.2 turnovers. Um, and again, that's 19 minutes. So he's not even averaging you know, 20 minutes a game. He's keeping his turnovers down. That doesn't actually make sense when you think about it. <laughs> I'm just stumbling over myself for uh, you know how good Don Texan's been playing. I mean, he's had three straight games of double digits. I don't know how long it's been since he did that. Uh, I looked up the other day how many times he's had back-to-back 15-point games because he had 15 against Portland and 20 against uh, Philadelphia. He, he'd never done it in his career before. He'd never had back-to-back 15-point games. Yeah, well, and it's, this is this is that patience for, and hard work for him paying off, finally. He's finally, like, with all the times he's had to sit on the sidelines and watch, the, watch his guys play and learn from them and the things that they've been doing and even just sitting around and practice, I'm sure. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the fruits of his labors are finally coming to fruition. Yeah, and, and I just think that, you know, you mentioned, you know, getting him... You being patient, finally getting those minutes, and I, I think part of that has to come from Quinn Snyder in terms of patience, like being patient with Dante Exum, because you know a lot of people I talk about the Jazz with, they are always talking about how Quinn Snyder always pulls Dante Exum before, you know, or the moment he makes a mistake, he goes out. Whereas guys like Ricky Rubio, Royce O'Neal, and others have a super long leash, and I think giving Dante Exum a longer leash, not just in terms of oh you made a mistake, let's pull you out, but also in just Letting him play his game and putting him out there with lineups that make him better. Because I think playing with the starters certainly helped him. Because, you know, those 13 assists, I'm pretty sure like six or seven of them went to Rudy Gobert. Um, I'm, I think just about all of them did. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like some of I mean, they, they were just eating them alive at the paint. It wasn't even funny. And that's something that Dante Exum can do that Ricky Rubio necessarily can't. Now, Rubio is a much better passer and distributor and floor general, at least historically in his career. He doesn't he hasn't really played that role as much in Utah, which we, we've talked about that before. Is, you know, Rick Rubio has been playing out of his zone a little bit. You know, Dante Exum is able to get into the paint, and you have to account for Dante Exum because he's a decent finisher at the rim. Not elite, but he's a decent finisher. And part of that is usually just because his man is usually on his backside because he's blown by him so fast. And, you know, you know what are you going to do? He's, he's shooting a wide-open layup. So you have to account for him. The help defense has to just absolutely collapse. And when Donovan Mitchell is, you know, looking for the pass, which he's not always, when he's looking for that pass, you know, those lobs and just little outlet passes. And there's, there's a little bit of work he needs to do on him. He's not a... He's not a superb passer. There's some improvement there, but I think there's a ton of potential for him as a passer and really just being able to do that driving kick, especially if he's got shooters on the floor. If he's got guys like Jay Crowder, Kyle Korver, Joe Ingles, you know, guys that he can kick uh, the ball out to, you know, that there's so much room, uh, so much potential there for Dante Exum as a distributor and also to just collapse the defense and, force the issue which is something that you know we've mentioned before just the ability to break down defense and create a shot you know an easy or wide open shot yeah and he's he's figuring that out for sure i mean he's got the lob pass pretty much down pat at this point i mean the fact that uh pretty much every pass he made to Gobert was in Gobert's hands and put into the basket, says a lot. Um, and the pick and roll between he and Favors was working the same exact way. And I think, uh, was it Philadelphia? Or it may have been last night. Um, he did, he attempted a, a mid-range shot. He was like a, it was a dribble pull-up mid-range. He missed it, but I've been begging to see him do this like all season long because if, and we've talked about it in previous episodes. Like if, if he becomes a threat on a pull-up jump shot from mid-range and he can hit that with consistency, he's going to be unguardable. Yeah, and that's something we saw from him actually in Summer League. And honestly, the, the thing maybe to think about is that in Summer League, we that's where we've seen the best Dante Exum, not just because he's putting up points, but because he's doing things... You know, like taking mid-range numbers, he took several of those in summer league. Mm. Uh, I definitely agree that he would become an unguardable player if he can hit, you know, a mid-range jumper at a forty-five-ish percent clip, or maybe even forty-two percent. Um, and maybe maybe take one or two of them a game to keep guys on their toes. Uh, so we, we've seen these things in summer league, and that's where Dante Exum's told, "Hey, just play your game, do what you can do, do the things you've been working on." Drive to the basket, kick out, take pull-up threes. And, heck, didn't he take a pull-up three against Philadelphia? I'm pretty sure he yeah, did. He did that. Yeah, no, he definitely did. It was right in, uh, I think it was in Embiid's face. Yeah, it was that, you know, dribble out, you know, back up like, you know, five or ten feet behind the three-point line, then kind of work on him, then pull up from three of the kind of things you see just about every star shooter do, from LeBron James to even Donovan Mitchell. They all do that. You saw Dante Exum do it, and you think, oh, shoot, if he does that, man, that's just, yeah. I don't need Don, or Dante Exum to be a 40% three-point shooter. I just need him to be an okay three-point shooter. And, that, and that's another thing. I, well, I think I mentioned already, he's shooting 37% from three. And, again, he's taking two per game in that stretch. Several of these games, he didn't even take, he didn't even attempt one three. But... Yeah, well, I mean, in these past three games, I mean, the the growth we've seen is night and day in just these last three games. And I, it, I feel like he's finally figured out, like, I'm long, I'm fast, and I can I, – I, and he's not as loose with his dribble, I've also noticed too. But, I mean, he's turning that corner, and it's promising. I mean, we'll see if – how well he sustains this moving forward, but if he does – those uh, that that uh, two year deal just sounds that much better now. Yeah, and we needed to sound better because for a little bit I was getting really frustrated, uh, not just because Dante X was playing a little poorly as 
because he was just not getting the playing time that you would yeah. give to a guy that you're paying, what was it again, $39 million or something like that? Three years, one of them maybe was Alice. Well, let's see, I'm on I'm on the Dante XM website, so maybe I can, or his homepage on Basketball Reference, so I should be able to look up his contract. Uh, but it's, you know, it's a, more money than you'd give a guy who, for back-to-back games, you played him, what, like two minutes and nine minutes, I think? Okay, this is a three-year, $33 million contract. Mm. So, three-year, $33 million. Although I think, yeah, there's, there's uh, what do they call incentives and stuff. Because it was looking at his yearly salary was like nine point six million, which didn't add up to thirty three million over three years. But that's because incentives. But anyway, yeah, I, I think I'm really hoping that we see more of Dante Exum. I really hope that we don't just see Exum end up, you know, playing five minutes this next game because he had you know, maybe back to back turnovers, some or back to back games where he didn't quite run the play as well as he should have or something. Mm-hmm. I want to see more of these games where, you know, in back-to-back games he's shot more than 10 shots. In three straight games he's had at least nine shots. So it just I want to see a confident Dante Exum, you know, just do his thing, go out there, you'll make a few mistakes. Granted, he's not making a whole lot right now. Uh, you know, his, his turnovers, as we've already mentioned, are down. Actually, if you go, he's not had more than one turnover in a game since December 12th when he had five. So, I mean, in the last eight games, he's averaging less than a turnover per game in 18 minutes. Huh. Well, there you go. So he's he's just killing it right now. And, and defensively, too, just you watch him defensively. He's he's still doing really good there. Just again, it's just watching him play defense. So he he can become I I really think a weapon. And we've I've raved about this before, but the potential for a Dante Exum Donovan Mitchell backcourt pairing. Again, it would require Dante Exum to become at least a capable three point shooter consistently for long stretches of time, enough that you know defenses would uh, respect him. But that's just a, a deadly combination. You know, a guy like yeah. Dixon and Donovan Mitchell, a, a, two really good slashers. You know, you get a, a good small forward and a power forward, stretch power forward, you know, a pair of stretch forwards and Rudy Gobert. I mean, that's the recipe for disaster on offense and defense for uh, opposing teams. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it has to get to that point first, but yeah, absolutely. Uh, so kind of... I mean, we've talked about Dante Exum playing really well. Another player who's played really well is Ricky Rubio, you know, the the starter. Uh, we ragged on him a lot early season, but if you look at it, he's been playing really well, or at least similar to last season in terms of shooting. I mean, you look at his, his splits uh, by month, and they've definitely improved. See, so in in October... He was shooting 31% overall and 32% from three. Yes. And in November, it took a jump. He was at 39%, so actually the biggest jump so far, uh, but then 31% from three. But in December, 13 games, almost as many as November, he's at 42% overall and 38% from three. Now, you're not calling home about his overall field goal percentage, but that 38% from three is huge. Especially for him, yeah. Yeah, so you need Ricky Rubio to at least be capable from three. And and one thing you notice, you look at his plus-minus, his his offensive and defensive rating, it's plus 9.4, I believe, if I'm looking at this right. (laughs) And it was like plus one in November. So... Yeah, no, it's good to see Ricky turn that corner too. I mean, he's the same thing with Exum. He's feeling more confident in his in himself again, um, which is good. And now that we've got you know these easier slate of games on the way, um, that's only going to get better. I mean, 
it's kind of funny how much this season has been mirroring what last season was. I mean, obviously, different circumstances were in place for last year and then this year. I mean, we've talked about, oh, well, they're healthy. What the hell's going on? Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's just weird how it's mirroring that. And it's nice to see that he's not only got confidence back in kind of his shot and his game again, but that's also translating to everybody else. But I'm, and, you know, I agree with that. And I'm also really glad that this improvement is coming before the easy stretch of games. Sure, yeah. You know, I, I wanted to see them not just improve because they're playing the Hawks and the whoever else sucks this season. Uh, all those different players are like the Heat, Sands, everybody that matters on their team, like we did a few games back and we kicked their butts by 30. You know, I wanted to see them play good against the Warriors and the Trailblazers and the Thunder and then, you know, again, the Trailblazers, the 76ers, you know, blow out the Knicks, you know, because you're not going to play playoff teams every night. But, you know, have these good games against good teams. See the improvements from Ricky Rubio, Joe Ingles, Rudy Gobert. Um, I haven't seen it so much from Donovan Mitchell. But, you know, the overall team improvements have been better. And... Again, defensively has been one of those things, actually. And I want to bring up the defense, uh, especially because the the defensive improvements, and we've already brought this up, but you look at some of the numbers. Um, i got to pull up my notes now. Because in October and November, they were awful. Um, let's see. So from November to December, the Jazz have improved by 8 points per 100 possessions defensively. Their defensive rating as a team was 108.4 in November. It's 100.5 in December. Second best in December behind Indiana. <laughs> and in October, that was 106.4. So they actually got worse from October to November. And it's just an overall team. You know, everybody's just simply playing better defensively. I mean, you look at – I did a little search for, like, individual players, their, their uh, defensive ratings – and of the players that have played at least 10 games in December, average 15-plus minutes, um, the Jazz have, I think, eight players that qualify for the 10 games, 15 minutes average. Seven of them are in the top 30. And three of the top four players in that category are are uh, Jazz players. That's Joe Ingles, Royce O'Neal, and Derek Favors. So... Uh, the only player that didn't make the top 30 was actually Jay Crowder, who usually we praise for being good on defense. So it's kind of interesting. Hmm. Well, there goes a the clock in here. Interesting. Yeah, so... Really, just overall, hopefully you don't mind that clock in the background. That's super awkward. <laughs> it's 9 o'clock, everybody, so you're going to hear that. Um, yeah, just the defensive improvements, I think, have really helped because I think part of, you know, with the Jazz identity, their identity is to play defense, and I think that really feeds into their offense. And I think you brought this up before, uh, Trey, just the, the defense feeding into the offense. Now that the defense is playing a ton better, everybody's playing better defense. So that helps them on offense. Just, you know, it's that confidence that's, you know, we're doing what we do well, that allows them to you know, give a little more energy and execute a little better on offense, which we've seen better offensive production. We've seen some better shooting. It's still spotty at times. We've seen just overall a better team. I, I really think the defense has a lot to do with that. Oh, yeah, because it makes your offense easier. I mean, it really does because you get, you get stops on defense. You're, the other team's scrambling to get back. Yeah, I've, I've, I've said it many times. The defense is where everything begins for them, and they're, they've doubled down on that, and they really bought into it. Um, they did definitely melt down um, about halfway through the second quarter in the Philadelphia game because um, they just kind of – they looked like they just either gave up or they didn't want to put forth the effort anymore. I don't know. I – but, uh, yeah, I mean, as a whole, it's feeding everything else. It's feeding everybody's confidence in terms of what they know that they're capable of doing. And, you know, they can kind of see that now. And obviously the team's playing better because of it. And I tell you, 
whooping the butts of the Knicks really is going to help them a lot, especially coming into Toronto on Tuesday. Yeah, and that'll be a really big game because it's just another way to see if this stretch is for real. Sure, yeah. Because I want to see that because we have another game like the Knicks or the excuse me, the 76ers where, like I said, give up halfway through the second quarter decide you don't want to play basketball anymore then that's going to be more indicative of what we've seen for most of the season. If we see them win or have a really close, tough loss, then we'll think, okay, this is for real. You know, we lost to one of the better teams, but let's keep this going and let's see how how far we can take this this really good stretch. Uh, so we're going to kind of flip the script here and talk about something that's been negative, um, and that has been... Uh, Donovan Mitchell, and I know some people have have criticized him. I've seen other people criticize those who are, you know, knocking on Donovan Mitchell. Um, and I mean, there's maybe an interesting discussion whether or not we need to be criticizing Donovan Mitchell more or letting some of these things slide. But the fact of the matter is, Donovan Mitchell's not playing very well in a lot of ways. Defensively, he's actually doing all right. Uh, you mentioned the you know, the players in the top 30 of you know defensive rating for December, uh, Donovan Mitchell, among all players, playing 10 games in 15-plus minutes, he's 22nd. I think his net rating was sub-100, or maybe just a little over. I can't remember. That's not bad. But, that's, yeah, yeah so, that's not bad at all. He's, he's playing well defensively, and that's always been something that he's really tried to do, is play defense well, which I think one of the reasons he's endeared himself to fans here in Utah is that he doesn't forget defense, unlike some people who, uh, you know, I don't want to name them, but Jabari Parker knows who he is, and you know, but I mean, again, playing good on defense, but not playing well on offense. You look at his his offensive numbers, and they are they are awful. Efficiency wise, they are just awful. There's not really any other way to put it. And I'm, I'm trying to pull him up here. Looking at his, his season numbers, if the internet will agree with me. Uh, his season numbers, 20.1 points per game. That's, that's all right. Um, but he's shooting 41% from the field and 29% from three. That is bad. For a guy taking 18 shots a game, that's not very good. Yeah, I mean, the field goal percentage should definitely, I mean, the, the both should be higher, but at 41%, I mean, that's not terrible, but for someone like kind of what he was doing last year, that's, yeah, that's worrisome, especially the threes, my goodness, it's like, he has all the confidence in the world, but um, something's wrong with the shot, it's something, it, something happened in this offseason, or even during this season, where he just kind of forgot his mechanics, I think, Um because it's either too long or it's too short or it's right, it's left, whichever. The nice thing is is that he's, you know, he's still hitting with consistency the rim, which means that he is still that good shooter. It's just a matter of him, I don't know, calming down or what. Yeah, I mean, I just I, Yeah, I don't know what it is because when I watch his three-point shots, they aren't really always bad shot selection. They're the kind that he would take last year. I mean, he attempted seven threes a game last year. was 34%, which is below average. And I know we addressed this last year. His three-point percentage is good. If you shoot 34%, you shouldn't be taking seven threes a game. And maybe he just needs to take less. We'll just take the ones where you're open. When you get a catch-and-shoot pass and you're open, take it. Don't go around the screen and do a pull-up three, you know, off balance. You're fading to your right still. I'll just take it when you're wide open. You have a really good shot. So maybe you're taking four a game. Well, I can't remember. I think it was Andy Larson who posted um, He posted an article in the Deseret News. It was saying that Donovan Mitchell's actually better on his uh, creating his own shot off of the dribble this year than he is on open shots, which I found that interesting because 
that was one of his biggest weaknesses last year was if he tried to create a shot for himself, chances are it wasn't going in. But anytime he was he got that open shot, you could guarantee it was almost a guarantee that that shot was going in. Where it's kind of like flipped this year. Um, I wish I had it in front of me, I'd, but um, I can't remember what the percentages were. But it was like, oh wow, that's actually pretty awesome. So he's like, it's like he's put more of a focus on what he can do on his own rather than what he can do within the system. And there was a couple of games, um, even last night, I believe. There's been some games where he just takes some like hero ball three point shots. Like he's not even in a rhythm yet, and he's taking like these pull up jumpers on a. Not even like a fast break, but like a soft break coming down the court a little bit quicker after a reset and just taking a shot in the middle, like with, you know, 20 seconds left on the shot clock. I don't understand those. I mean, if you if it was one thing you would hit like two shots or three shots in a row leading up to that, I could forgive that. But if you haven't shot and made uh, so many uh, shots in a row, there's no reason to be taking those shots out of the offense. Yeah, and I think that's been one of Donovan Mitchell's flaws, just forcing things, not playing the offense, um, hero ball. And that's the thing that got the Jazz into trouble last season was playing hero ball. That's one of the things that would lose them games. You know, they lost games to Oklahoma City. They were starting to play hero ball after they'd gone two quarters of playing exquisite team basketball. Mm-hmm. And I think against the Rockets, that hurt them as well. They probably would have lost that series anyway, but it made things worse. And I think maybe Donovan Mitchell is trying to do that still, where he's trying to play that hero ball. He's, you know, he'll go into the paint, he'll he'll be bodied up by two different guys, and he'll still take this wild floating, you know, layup, falling backwards almost out of bounds. And it's like, why are you taking that shot? It's not going in, and if it does go in, then it still was a dumb shot. So I, I think his shot selection has really played a lot into his his low percentages either on three-pointers or on layups because again he's not shooting all that much better on his two-pointers either uh, than he is on his three-point shots see two-pointers he's shooting 47 percent at about 48 percent see and even that should be that should be much higher for him as a slasher too and i don't know I, i mean obviously he's still learning i mean it's his second year and now that you know We've talked about this before. Teams are more aware. They're not more aware. They are fully aware of what he's capable of doing. So, of course, he's going to be top of the scouting list because they know that he's the number one option. And there's still some times where, you know, he yeah, he's definitely forcing the issue. But if you look at some of the best games he's had this season, he's played within the offense. He hasn't tried to force anything. He's let the game come to him, and he's had better performances because of that. I don't even remember the last time he scored 30 points this season. I, it certainly felt like it's been a while. Um, yeah, just again playing the offense has not been his strength. Let's see. Last time he scored thirty points was November thirtieth. He actually had twenty nine and thirty back to back against Brooklyn and Charlotte, and he actually had thirty five against Sacramento a couple of games earlier. So he had like a four game stretch where he was averaging like well. He had four points against the Lakers, but that's because they only played 11 minutes. Yeah, I, I mean, that, that's more than a month without him getting up to that point. And that's something we're not really used to. I mean, it's funny to say that because he's only been playing for a year and a half for us. But, yeah, I mean, that's just something That's something that – what was the game? He shot dreadfully. After the game, they weren't going to practice the following day, so he went to the, the training uh, facility – right after that game to put some shots up next game played it was like nothing had happened like nothing was fixed <laughs> i think that was after the golden state game i think he yeah this before like so yeah he went five of 26 against golden state and then he went one of 10 the next game at portland it's yeah so that, I, that was a 30 point win for us yeah so it got worse I don't know, and I mean, and I don't think it's necessarily a work well, work ethic thing because that's something he's pride and proud. Uh, he's proud to uh, tell us that you know he likes to work hard, and his defense speaks for that too. Um, and he's he's a good passer. He's a good playmaker. 
but he's not doing it within the offense. When he plays within the offense and just lets the game come to him, he's so much better. And I don't know um, if that's something that he's got a bunch of like outlying stuff going on and he's got some distractions he's focusing on. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think one of the oh, – how, how do I phrase this? Last year we were fending off people calling him a chucker because he wasn't really last year. Now he is. He's he's checking up shots. He's barely averaging more points than shot attempts. Every other game he's have he has about as many shots as he does points. And he's taking shots he hasn't really earned. You know, those those hero ball threes out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Those, you know, falling away floaters in the paint. You know, different things that he hasn't quite earned. You know, maybe on a night if you're like nine of ten or you know eleven of twelve or something like that, you know, you're shooting hot. Maybe take a couple of those because everybody's going to do that. Some players out of the blue have a really hot game, and so Donovan Mitchell can earn some of those. But you know, again, it's back to something you've already said multiple times. That's playing in the offense, and I think uh, you mentioned him being a playmaker. The thing I think Donovan Mitchell really needs to focus on is taking advantage of all of his options. Pass it more. Drive into the lane. You know, lob it to Rudy Gobert. A little pocket pass. Run the pick and roll. Kick it out to a shooter. Don't just always go for a shot when you get into the paint. Take advantage of all your options. Maybe just dribble through the paint. You know, do Steve Nash, Tony Parker used to do all the time. And you even see Ricky Rubio doing it. So just take advantage of all his options. Be an actual triple threat. Whereas right now, it feels like he's just a single threat. And he's not... And he's not taking advantage of all of his options. And he's becoming one-dimensional, a one-dimensional chucker who just takes shots and thus hurts his team on some occasions. You know, when you have these games where you go 1 of 10, 5 of 26, you know, that hurts. And I know that I mentioned both of those games where he goes 5 of 26 and 1 of 10. I think they won both of those games. But that's not always going to happen. Right, I mean, because, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's a team game. But, yeah, I mean, when you're the number one offense, when you're the number one option on offense and you are inefficient that it's hurting and putting more pressure on the rest of your guys, that's not that's not necessarily a good thing. Um, because there's, yeah, there's plenty of times when he used to get these drives last season where he could just do, like, some shake-and-bake move, get it up, you know, whipsy do freaking layup or whatever you want to call it and he's like you know he blows our minds by that he still does that but there's a lot of times now where he's like getting up in the air and he's and he's trapped he can't do anything so he just either gets blocked or it gets ripped out from his arms and then it's a it's a turnover it's a bad possession teams on the other end and they've scored because of that so yeah i like what you said he needs to do that search dribble um he just needs to be I guess a little less aggressive. I mean, there's always you always have to be aggressive when you're driving to the hoop, but you got to be smarter about it. And I and I, that's something that he's totally capable of. This is a growing pain for him, and I know for a fact that he's going to get out of this. It's just a matter of when does that happen. Hopefully sooner rather than later. But yeah, I kind of like we said you said being less aggressive but smarter. I think the key there is just. You're keeping that aggression, but being smarter about it. Because um, that is the key. Because you want to be aggressive. You look at some of these guys who look to take advantage of situations, the LeBron James, the you know, the Kevin Durant. They're always aggressive. You know, you see Steph Curry about this, with this as well. Just any good distributor, look at any of the good point guards. They are aggressive, but they know what their options are. If LeBron James is sworn by six people, I don't know why there's six people, but if he's swarmed by six people in the paint, he's going to pass it out to somebody on the three-point line. And they're going sure. to get a wide-open three. Yeah, and that's just that's just keeping your head up. I, I know a lot of times Donovan will just put his head down and go. And that's something that is it's a very hard habit to break because you naturally, like when you, put, when you want to put all of that force into it, you naturally put your head down. It's hard to keep your head up and realize, okay, well, I've got this option – that shot's gone. I have to have plan B right there ready to go. Yeah, in another play, you mentioned Donovan Mitchell putting his head down and going. Dante Exum was the same way. 
and you look at him not doing that for a game, and he has 13 assists. So when you think about Donovan Mitchell, I think he has the potential, and this is one reason why I really like the idea of Donovan Mitchell maybe playing point guard, which kind of clashes with my wanting Dante Exum to, to start. But Donovan Mitchell playing point guard, I think that could teach him, and he could be a really deadly point guard. If you were to learn these things, you'll get to these growing pains. He can be that. You think of guys like Russell Westbrook and James Harden, these point guards who maybe they're not your traditional pass first. Ricky Rubio, John Stockton, Ray John Rondo, you know, list off all your uh, pass first point guards. You know, they may not be those kind of guys, but they can still be dominant threats in the game. You look at a lot of the great point guards these days Steph Curry, Damian Lillard. Again, go down the list. These are guys who can score and pass, and that's something I think Donovan Mitchell could do. He may not be doing it at point guard, but maybe he could. Yeah, he totally can, because he's, I mean, we've seen some of the passes he's made, and, and it's just ridiculous. Like, there's some passes that look like a, like it's a, I don't know, like a baseball toss, like he's tossing it to, like, first or second base or something as a short, or whatever, it's baseball. Um, he, like, does these, like, forward flicking throws, and they just go forever. Um, he's got the capability. I mean, we, we've seen him do some pretty insane passes. So, yeah, I mean, it would be cool to see him, you know, kind of be thrust into the point guard position, because then he would have to um learn that aspect of it but i don't know if we'll ever see that honestly we have too many point guards as it is yeah i don't know if we end up not keeping ricky rubio or maybe trading dante x and i i really think that i I think it would it would teach like i said it would teach donovan mitchell how to run the offense it's saying look you're going to be a point guard you will run the offense you not you're not the number one option you are running the offense right I mean, you look at James Harden, his career spiked when he went to point guard. It wasn't just a, you are an option here, you are the option, you are holding the ball always. The offense will go through you first, and you will force the issue. I'm not saying that's the only way you can be an offensive weapon, but I think for a guy like James Harden, it really worked for him. And for a guy like Donovan Mitchell or Russell Westbrook or whoever, I think it could really work for Donovan Mitchell being a distributor and a shooter and a scorer and all that, you know, have a relatively high usage rate, kind of like he did last year. You know, just now running the course on this argument, I just just think that the idea of Donovan Mitchell being a point guard really excites me, but I do agree with you. I don't think we're going to see it because there's just so many other options. There's, again, Dante Exum or the fact that I don't know, Quinn Center probably just doesn't view Dante or Donovan Mitchell as a point guard. That just might be part of it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because yeah, last year he played, according to basketball reference, he played 34% of his minutes of point guard. Part of it was just because the Jazz didn't have a lot of healthy point guards that last year. But this year he's played 4% of his time at point guard. Which, maybe that's had, <laughs> maybe that's another theory. Maybe that's a one of the reasons he's played worse. Maybe he needs to play more at point guard. I don't know. That's a little... I mean, he did respond well when uh, when Ricky was out um, for the playoffs. I mean, well, I say that loosely. He did an admirable job as the point guard because yeah. we didn't... I don't... Yeah, we lost Dante for the latter half of that series too. So, but... Uh, no, was it, it was also for the OKC series, I believe. No, we had Ricky for that. Um, I'm going through my head here. But, yeah, I mean, the times that he was in there, he was, you know, he had a pretty decent stat line, especially for uh, when it came to passing. Yeah, so it's, it's maybe interesting to look into. That might be uh, something for another episode. Maybe we'll discuss this further. But, uh I think for now, let's let's go into a, a bit of a last uh, wrap-up here. So we didn't get to do our, our Christmas wishes episode. We'll do a, we'll do a New Year's resolution. A uh, resolution that we'd like to see. Let's see, should we, should we do our resolution for the Jazz or what we'd like the Jazz's resolutions to be? I'm thinking the latter. Uh, yeah. Something the Jazz should try and do. Yeah. <laughs> um, so... I think my resolution 
Um, this would be to, to play Dante Exum more. Try this out. You're paying him $33 million over the next three years. Try and play him 20, 22-ish minutes a game. You know, Ricky Rubio is going to be out for more time. Keep starting him. Give him the reins of the offense. Let's see what he can do. No, oh, so like, like so like bring Ricky in as the as the as the backup. Uh, probably not. Maybe if Ricky Rubio goes through another stretch like he did at the start of the season, then yeah. Um, right now, sure. Exum's averaging probably around eighteen-ish minutes a game. I think in December it was like eighteen. Mm. If you exclude the games where he was basically held out, it's like nineteen twenty. Uh, I like to see that go maybe a little bit up, or at least more importantly, just give him the reins to the offense. Let them be consistent minutes. You know, yeah. Give give Dante Exum a chance. If it doesn't work out, trade him. Do something. But make Dante Exum a positive asset and not a wasted bench spot who's $33 million richer because of nothing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um... I would say we've got some easy games coming up this month, so I'm not gonna say start the start the month with a winning streak. That would be nice, but I mean with the first you know this four game road trip, we've got Toronto, Cleveland, Detroit, and then Milwaukee to close it out. I, I mean out of the two losable games on that trip, it's definitely Toronto and Milwaukee. Um, Pistons are probably gonna be a little. I guess worrisome in some sense, just because Blake Griffin's dirty. Um, but I think I don't know. I would love to see. So we're we're playing fifteen games in total for the month of January. I want to see two, at least two four game win streaks for the month. Because that's that. I mean, if that's going to be any indication of where this team will be come February, that's going to really give you know kind of speak volumes. I think that's fair, and I, I definitely agree. You know, win streaks, that's what set off last year's uh, great stretch was a, a big win streak. Maybe we won't – I doubt we'll see that again. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I, they're not – winning 12 games in a row is a tall task for any team, especially yeah. in the position we were in last year. Yeah, so I think, you know, you get the two four-game win streak, maybe they win like four out of ten – or, sorry, eight out of ten. Maybe pack a couple of those real close together. Uh, oh, holy crap, they've got a long, and all these home uh, road stretches, they've got a stretch of like, was that, nine games, eight of which are at home? Yeah, a lot Hopefully. of home games next month. Oh, yeah, also, the uh, they uh, they should win on my birthday. They're playing the Lakers on my birthday in January, so, and it's on national television, so I'm going to see if I can watch that game. Nice. Yeah, I mean, because like even LA is doing better, and you know that's always you know that's just kind of the effect that LeBron has on teams, which is you know whatever. But I still feel like we're better than them, and I think that because of the fact that we've turned this corner and the way I mean, obviously it's been tumultuous a little bit here and there. But in reality, I mean, we're playing much better. So LA is going to be playing a much different Jazz team by that point. Orlando, we're they're going to be on our home court, and I really feel like they're going to show Orlando that that was just a fluke that they that they got lucky more or less that they weren't playing well that night. But yeah, I mean, we have Detroit twice. We have the Clippers in LA. We have Cleveland twice. We have Portland. Two more times that month, and then we're done. Denver's going to be a test on the twenty third. I mean, I, honestly, feasibly, you could win ten out of the fifteen on this on, on this next month. Yeah, that would be an awesome start to the twenty nineteen calendar year. And yeah, that would I think it would definitely revitalize the season because you know you win ten out of fifteen. Suddenly you're uh, let's see what would that be? So we're one game under five hundred. You have ten and five, so that's Four games above 500, I think, if I'm doing mathematics right. I believe so. So, yeah, you, and that would probably put us in the playoff, in a playoff spot, because we're, uh, the Jazz are two games out of 
um, eight, where the Sacramento Kings are. Jazz are uh, six, six and a half games behind the Nuggets. Kings are four and a half. Uh, the Jazz are only two and a half games out of sixth, and three games out of fifth. So that's crazy. Yeah, it's a couple of four-game win streaks would would really put the Jazz up a. Uh, a few notches, especially if, you know, the Lakers, I think if LeBron is out, I don't know, is LeBron going to be out for a few more games or something like that? I think so. I don't know. I mean, he's got, like, some groin strain, so he won't be out long. Yeah, so maybe if the Lakers lose a couple of games with LeBron being out for a couple of games, uh, if Portland fades at all, if the Kings fade at all, you know, if any of these teams fade at all and Jazz put together a 10-5 and month, that puts them maybe as high as the fifth seed, probably in the 6-8 to eight range. Uh, realistically, oh sure. I mean, we got we we had to we had to go through the gauntlet again the beginning of the year to get to where we are now. And whereas our schedule is going to get easier, all these other teams are going to get in harder schedules. So we could be seeing tired legs on these other teams, whereas we're going to be fresh, especially with all these home games we're playing next month. Like all those are like all the home games are must wins. Yeah. All right. So that's. That's about going to do it for us here on Hashtag Jazz. I'll say this. We have now completed our first full year of podcasts. We kind of took a break there in the summer because, you know, off season. But uh, the first full calendar year of Hashtag Jazz. We started, I think, December of 2017. Uh, so now I think this actually probably hit our official one-year mark uh, like a couple weeks ago. But, yeah, I've, I haven't been keeping track, but I'll get some champagne. <laughs> well, you can do that. And, uh, but thanks so much to listeners. Uh, those of you who are here from the beginning or picked up midway through at some point, uh, thank you so much. We're just two guys who really love the jazz. We love talking about them. We're not professionals, but we love doing this. So thank you so much for uh, enabling us and you know, humoring us in this endeavor. So here's to many more episodes of hashtag jazz yay Uh, (laughs) (laughs) all right we'll talk to you guys next week